How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. A frequent guest for the last couple decades returns to the show. Dr. Michael Osterholm is with us, world-renowned epidemiologist, his great work at the U of M, his work with presidential administrations, gubernatorial administrations, the numerous books Mike has written, and especially helpful to us and really to this country and the globe during the COVID crisis. For a long time, we were talking to Mike on a regular basis. Now it's uh, more periodic, and it's been a period of time, and Mike is with us, like every one of our guests, on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. If you have a text on the COVID topic for Mike, as I say often, I will take a look at all of them. They all need to be respectful. You don't have to agree, but just some level of decency or I'm bypassing you quickly. 
Uh, but if you want to offer some offer something up, you can through a text. Not a call, but a text. 651-461-9226. Uh, first of all, my friend, how are you? Fine, thank you. It's good to be back with you. How are you doing? I'm doing uh, very well, enjoying winter, and a number of questions for you. So let me start with uh, this study that was published last week by the journal Vaccine. And I know it covered a lot, but a lot of the headlines are talking about some of the risks associated with vaccines related to COVID, the COVID vaccine. Uh, The study is saying they monitored an increase for 13 different medical conditions in the period after people received a COVID vaccine. That is part, and that's really the main part, Mike, which is drawing attention. Is that a fair assessment of this study, and what is your reaction to the study itself? Well, first of all, you know, we routinely follow any vaccine administration with a system called VAERS, which is a voluntary reporting system. And, of course, you know, if you vaccinate 50 or 70 percent of your population, 50 or 70 percent of the events that are going to occur are going to occur whether you're vaccinated or not. The question is, were they related in terms of cause and effect, not just coincidence? And so what we uh, do to make certain that we have good data on safety is in some cases actually have very detailed studies that follow up on vaccine recipients to make sure it's not just they slipped through the cracks, it didn't get reported, et cetera. And uh, then make an attempt at that point to assess, is this what would expect to occur? Is this above what we'd expect to occur? And then make the assessment from that standpoint. So studies like that are very helpful. Was it above what you expected? No, it isn't. Actually, the COVID vaccines are coming in really exactly where they're at, what you expected. I mean, a good example is one that has received a lot of attention is basically an inflammation of the heart that can occur uh, associated with the vaccine, particularly in younger men, uh, adolescent boys. And uh, what we found was, in fact, that we did occasionally see that kind of uh, myocarditis type picture, but it actually occurs much less frequency, frequent than if you get the infection itself. So you actually buy uh, protection that way. The second thing is, is that none of them were uh, severe cases. Uh, there's one in New York that continues to keep popping up, but the, uh, the review of that case said that it was not cause and effect from the vaccine. Uh, but so we, with actual infection, we actually see deaths associated with myocarditis. Uh, so again, it's a benefit. So we have to take into account the risk benefit. You know, I, the example I use, or I've heard it over and over again, is seatbelts. You know, seatbelts really save lives. But every very, very, very rarely, a seatbelt will jam. And in an accident, when the particular vehicle is on fire, that poses a greater risk to the individual. Now, we say don't use seatbelts because the overwhelming uh, information supports how much, how many lives they save versus potentially putting someone at risk. And so that's, in a sense, what we do with vaccines is to, to look at what's the benefit versus what is the potential downside. Okay. Um, there were... Listen, we have many experts in this area, and many people think they're experts, and, and they're not. Um, but there were many people who seemingly had a track record, Mike, when I read stories looking ahead to our conversation, when they mm-hmm. seemed to be alarmed by this study. 
and 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 you don't feel that way. Was there any part of this study where you looked at it and you said, I did not expect that data to come out? No, not really. I, I can't say there is. Uh, I think, you know, this is why we do these kinds of studies. And uh, um, I don't think it was surprising. What study, which hasn't been done yet on the fallout either from COVID or from the vaccines themselves, would you like to see done? Well, we have a whole lot of work we need to do on long COVID. Um, this is clearly a, a long-term tale on COVID itself that is just remarkable. Um, you know, when you look at the number of people who have uh, months and months later still had major health challenges because of COVID, and what we need to do is understand why that's happening. I think we're getting closer to having some sense that what it is is the body's immune system basically is turned on by this virus. Uh, the virus exits and leaves. It may actually, however, create a situation or what we call a zombie virus where basically what it is is zombie cells where it's not the virus, but there's enough residual material from the virus in you that it actually continues this inflammation. That inflammation in turn then is what makes you feel horrible, brain fog, fatigue, uh, damage to organs, in fact, based on your own immune system's response. And so we have a lot of work to do here. In particular, what are the therapies that could do to really help improve this situation? So uh, those are the studies that I think are absolutely critical that need to be done. Is that going to happen? I think it is. Yeah, I think uh, the NIH basically has just received a new appropriation for this issue. I think they're much more focused than they were uh, throughout parts of the uh, pandemic in looking at this issue. I think it's clear when you can have, you know, bipartisan uh, hearings in, in Washington on this issue, which we've just had, uh, which were very helpful, very thoughtful. Um, I think that we are moving forward in this area. And, uh, you know, and it's long, long, long overdue and needed. We, we really need to help these people. Uh, yesterday... I saw a number of tweets in this from folks who are vaccine skeptics or they are primarily right of uh, right of center politically, where it was reported about the American Red Cross and suggesting, and there were multiple reports on this, that the Red Cross is now asking blood donors if they ever see the COVID vaccine, and if you answered yes, they wanted you to call ahead, see if you're eligible. Is this true? And should the Red Cross or anyone else be asking you this if you're offering to donate blood? You know, I can't comment. I don't know about that. I've not heard about that before. So that's something that uh, I'm not aware of. I know of many people who are routine blood donors who have been vaccinated. So I, I beyond that, I can't comment. You would be – so. So if it's true, let, let's go with that premise. If the Red Cross started asking, uh, if I show up, I've, I've been vaccinated many times, okay, and, and I go to donate blood, which I've done before, would, would you think it was inappropriate if any organization, Red Cross or others, asked if you had been vaccinated and then had any hesitancy whatsoever? Well, first of all, again, I'm not, you know, I can't comment one way or the other. I don't have a, a reason to understand why they would would basically ask that question uh, in terms of a healthy blood donor. 
Um, so I think at that point, uh, in terms of what why we screen though with blood is to make sure that we don't have uh, some type of infection in the blood system itself that you don't know about. Um, I mean, the classic ones we've had for many years, the hepatitis viruses, HIV, et cetera, we don't want to transmit something on. So uh, the calls or the, the assessment would be based on what is your risk of transmitting something, or in rare cases would be do you have a health condition that by donating blood you might jeopardize that health condition some, which is very, very, very rare. So beyond that, I, I don't have any um, reason to know why they would do that. If, in fact, they're doing it at all, I think I want to be very careful about that. I don't know that they are. Yep, understand. Uh, Mike Ostrom is with us. It's uh, 17 past one. A few more points. Working in your text also. Thank you for those. Uh, Mike, over the last couple months, um, I keep hearing more and more people in my circle, myself included, I had COVID, people had COVID, varying degrees of the severity of it. What was your assessment of what the numbers were in Minnesota and elsewhere and where are we headed for the next couple months? Well, we really have several things happening at the same time. Let me just uh, be clear that COVID is widespread, and it has been over the last three months. This variant that we have right now uh, has infected a lot of people. Um, one is the variant itself has changed, mutated enough to evade some of the immune protection we have. But then in addition to that, we recognize whether you've had infection or you're vaccinated, you get about four to six months of good protection against serious illness, hospitalizations, and deaths. Uh, and then it wanes. And this is why I have been such a strong, strong supporter of not making this a seasonal vaccine like flu once a year. This should be one you can get every six months if you want and, and, and need it. And when I say need it, we now know that you can greatly reduce the number of serious illness, hospitalizations, and deaths, particularly in older people, 65 and over, by being vaccinated with this vaccine. But it likely will be one you'd need every six months. Uh, now, to me, that you know is one that most people probably won't avail themselves to. Nobody's making them get it, but we should have that available. And so uh, when you think about where COVID is right now, as you just pointed out, the vast majority of infections are milder. When I say milder, you still may be down in bed for a few days, feeling pretty rough, but then you're back at it again. Uh, last week, COVID was the number seventh killer in the country. Still, it's up there. It's a very significant condition, but grant you most of those are in older individuals, people of underlying immune deficiencies. So there, we're trying really hard to encourage vaccination. We're absolutely pushing as hard as we can Paxlovid. The data are clear and compelling on this drug. A new study just published uh, today um, showing that you can reduce hospitalizations by 80% or more if you get on Paxlovid quickly after being diagnosed. And it also has a major impact on your likelihood of developing long COVID. It's greatly reduced uh, by getting on Paxlovid. So those are the things that I keep pushing and want people to understand that if they do those things, you know, they still may get COVID, but it will be more of an inconvenience than a life-threatening infection. Reports over the last uh, couple of weeks suggesting the CDC may dramatically change their isolation guidelines if you test positive, uh, suggesting that the CDC may advise people to leave isolation once they are fever-free for 24 hours without medication and their symptoms are improving. This is different from 
the five days, which has been out there for mm-hmm. a while. Where, where do you stand on that? Well, first of all, there's a lot of misinformation out there right now about that. CDC has not publicly ever stated that they're changing this, not that I don't think they will. I think that, I think they will do that. Uh, states have already put it in place, states like California and Oregon. And this is not nearly as dramatic as people make it out to be. For example, in the California recommendations, it is exactly what you said. If, in fact, uh, you're fever-free for 24 hours, you can go back in. Um, but you should, at that point, they recommend you are an N95 for the whole 10 days, period, which is more than we're doing now. And so from that standpoint, it, it, it's not the same as just saying, you know, we're cutting our losses and leaving. That's not the situation at all. Uh, the healthcare worker doesn't change at all in terms of what has been already in place, what's there now. Our problem is we have so many hospitals that are allowing healthcare workers to wear in a inadequate and frankly dangerous uh, respiratory protection like surgical masks versus N95s. You know, a surgical How is that still is happening, like, Mike? Uh, it's, it's beyond me. I mean, it, it, it is really, I think, uh, a real challenge. Um, you know, if you say to somebody, you got three screen doors in your submarine, you think you're going to have a problem when you go under? I think you will. That's what a surgical mask is, okay? The N95 is what we need. So we need to really push that. Um, the problem we have today and it's not it's not unexpected is that people have moved on people aren't if they're out for two days with sniffles yep. they're not going to test and then stay away from work for five days you know over almost 30 percent of our population does not have a single day of sick leave coming they don't get sick leave they don't get family mm-hmm. time off if a sick child and so whether they make rent or not this week or this month is often tied can they go to work or not we have to meet people where they're at now, clearly, we're going to reduce transmission if we can keep sick people out. But, you know, we've never factored in, for example, in our recommendations, up to 40 percent of the people may be asymptomatic and transmit the virus. So even if I could test everybody who is clinically ill and keep them out, there's still a lot of transmission going on from asymptomatic people. And so what we need to focus on is how do we protect those people at highest risk of serious illness, hospitalizations and deaths? You know, I surely understand there are very few people that think vaccinating their kids is important. But you and I have talked many times on this show about how important flu vaccines are for kids. Very important. Everybody is on board with that. You know, do you realize that COVID is still killing almost twice as many kids each day as a flu flu virus? And yet we're not vaccinating kids at all in any meaningful way, you know, a couple percent. So I think we need to get better information out. We need to have people be able to understand and let them choose. I, you know, I'm, I'm not one of the people who's been saying mandate these vaccines, but I think we should give people choices. And then we inform them what these choices mean. You know, what you know, I think most parents would be surprised to know how many kids are dying from COVID. And these are kids that are not identified early on as having some underlying health condition. Over half of them are, were, had none at all that you would have somehow concluded that they need the vaccine. That's the kind of thing we need to do more of. We need to have real straight talk with the public, what we know, what we don't know. Mike, I always appreciate your time. Glad to have you on board. You You know it won't be a long time until we reach (laughs) out again. Enjoy the rest of your day, sir. Anytime, sir. Have a good one. Go Twins. Michael Osterholm.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them with more on the way. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future. In vehicles and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is Electrified Diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you. A hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Toyota, let's go places.